She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode 14, The Thin White Line. This episode was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and originally aired on Friday, February 14th, 1997 at 9 p.m. Valentine's Day. Bummer. (laughs) Yep. In the episode, in what even in 1997 was the tropiest of tropes, Frank Black has to confront a serial killer to catch his protege. However, the process makes Frank wonder if he should have just killed him 20 years ago when he had the chance, rather than put him behind bars. <gasps> it's the Batman dilemma, mm-hmm. at least in the comics, because movie Batman just killed people all the time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. This episode was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong. And directed by Thomas J. Wright. Morgan and Wong. Yeah, I feel like I should have sensed the Morgan and Wong energy in this. I don't know why. It just, it, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ironically, an episode of The X-Files that also features Vietnam death cards will air two weeks later. That episode was written by Howard Gordon, so it was not written by Morgan and Wong. But it is interesting that they like kind of air almost back to back and they feature the same thing. Especially since Morgan and Wong have recently just officially left the X-Files and now they're writing this episode. And then this is actually, this is actually the very next X-Files episode that we're going to record next weekend. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, that's why I've already watched it. That's why I know. <laughs> yeah. And then back in 1987, like you said, two actually nine days after this episode, actually less than two weeks. It was yeah. like nine days later that episode aired of the X-Files. So, yeah, kind of weird. You got to assume nice. like probably like they... You know, in like the writers' room, they were banging around ideas around. And, oh, I'm sure, and I'm sure death like, cards Ooh. had been one of the things that had been bandied about a couple times, and people were like, "Oh, well, we and use also that. too and, in the '90s, like all these people were writing fucking Vietnam stories." It's and true, and I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of like war stuff generally, and then like World War Two, World War One, Vietnam. I just don't have any interest in yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of like how now, like in the 2010s and everything we got a lot of like Afghanistan stories, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. it's that, it's that time period of like, that's what the thing was. Well, and there's just a thing like where there's just some kind of like thing in the air and people have the same idea around the same time. It's just a thing that happens all the time. Like there'll be books that come out like within like a couple months of each other that have like the same, maybe not the same premise, but deal with like the same topic or same subject. And people are always like, did blank copy blank? And it's like, no, people just, because of the way the world works, people are living in the similar situations. They have similar ideas. And obviously how they execute those ideas is very different. But a lot of times you'll find similarities happening kind of in groups because we all live in the same world. So we're all thinking about similar things or maybe not all of us. Well, and it's a time yeah. period thing, too, because like, you know, 20 years after Vietnam is when we're getting all the Vietnam stories. 20 years after, well, the Afghanistan war went on for you could argue that it's probably still going on but um uh you know 20 years after that like started then we start getting all the like you know the afghanistan stories and that kind of stuff yeah so it is a timing thing yeah and sometimes people are just on the same wavelength and they just think of the same thing at the same time and it just happens and they happen to be working on similar shows for chris carter and that's how it works out (laughs) you never know 
Wright previously directed episode three, Dead Letters, which was also written by Morgan and Wong, and mm-hmm. episode 10, The Wild and the Innocent, which was written by Jorge Zamacona, but felt like it couldn't have been written by Morgan and Wong, at least according to Nick. And I don't remember if I felt that way, but probably. I mean, there are <laughs> there are a lot of things in that episode that you're like, yeah, that would be that's a Morgan and Wong episode. Because that was uh-huh. the Yeah. Also, we had that weird thing where I the voice that she was doing reminded me of the field where I died. Oh, so right, right, right. Yes. Vibe was that too? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of like just abuse and gross stuff in that episode that I could see Morgan and Wong throwing at us. So anyway, Seattle, Washington, eight forty-three p.m. It's raining because Seattle, and there's a man in a car and he's flipping through some playing cards that are in his glove box and he finds the jack of spades and he tears it in half. And then he rings a doorbell and a woman answers and he tells her it's not personal, but she did answer the door and certain people need to be sacrificed. He made a promise and she is like, it's important to keep promises. In fact, I volunteer to be your next sacrifice. And then he rings the same doorbell and the same woman answers and he smiles and grabs her hand and cuts it with a switchblade knife and she screams and he forces his way in and closes the door. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Frank enters a hospital emergency room looking for Catherine, who's working the night shift in child counseling. Suddenly, paramedics rush in with a bloodied woman on a gurney. Multiple stab wounds, front and back. She's crashing. So they defibrillate her right in the hallway. And the first jolt causes her arm to fall to the side. Frank notices that she has a curved slash on her palm. And then he raises his own right hand, revealing a thin white scar on his palm that matches the slash on the victim's hand. And then the second defibrillation fails also, and she flatlines. And they call the time of death at 10.35 p.m. And then it's the main title. Mm-hmm. Millennium. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where all the heart monitor sounds were coming from in this scene. Because there wasn't a heart monitor anywhere in this scene. <laughs> anywhere. There's not one attached to her cart. They don't hook her up to one. I think it's just. That's what you got to have when people are dying. So. It's just ambient hospital noises. Yeah. That coincide with her dying. Because it wasn't connected to her. So. Then we come back, we get our epigraph. A man's past is not simply a dead history. It is a still quivering part of himself, bringing shudders and bitter flavors and the tinglings of a merited shame by George Eliot. The full quote is, with memory set smarting like a reopened wound, a man's past is not simply a dead history. And then they did put ellipses here, so this is good, because they cut out this part right here. An outward preparation of the present. It is not a repented error shaken loose from the life. It is still a quivering part of himself, bringing shudders and bitter flavors and the tinglings of a merited shame. So they did a pretty good job. I mean, I would have preferred maybe some ellipses in the front, too, to let me know that it did not start with a man's past. It started with something else, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is for Middlemarch, I think. I've not read the book, but I have the internet. And so Middlemarch is a book by George Eliot. So. And the internet wouldn't lie to me. No, nope, never. Yeah. So we see Frank and three FBI agents are searching an abandoned building. Frank opens a door and he's surprised. And then we see a hand with a fresh crescent-shaped cut across the palm. And Frank wakes up. He gets up and he goes to his basement office. He logs into the Millennium Group and traces the scar on his hand into the computer and then does a database search. Catherine comes down. He tells her he couldn't sleep. His search completes with no matches. She sees what he was searching for and runs her finger along the scar. 
He puts his hand over hers and they go back upstairs. Hmm. Then at the Seattle Public Safety Building, Frank asked Bletcher for any information pertaining to the woman he saw at the hospital. Bletcher reveals that she was Anne Rothenberg, age 32. Her husband found her body when he returned home from work. That's got to be awful. Oh, my God. Can you? Oh, yeah. No, like worst, worst thing you could possibly walk into. There was some cash and jewelry missing, so they believe she surprised a burglar and was then attacked. Frank asks about any similar MOs, and Bletch says no. They've been on a hot streak. No homicides as a result of break-ins in the last two months. Frank asks if the killer left anything, and Bletch is like, what? And Frank's like, anything. And Bletch says, no, but if any like anythings show up, they'll let him know. Hmm. Later that night, the killer, who will eventually learn is named Jacob Tyler... So he enters a convenience store and he tosses a bag of chips on the counter and says he was never a religious person, but he's been troubled by what he's done. And the clerk rings up the chips and is like, you need anything else? And Tyler asks the clerk if he knows why he's there. And the clerk says that certain people have to be sacrificed. And Tyler asks if he accepts it. And the clerk says that God says if you're repentant, you'll be forgiven. He tells Tyler that he has made his peace and so the clerk must make his as well. And then inside the convenience store, Tyler throws a bag of chips on the counter, and the clerk asks if he needs anything else, and Tyler pulls a gun and shoots the clerk four times in the chest. He leaves the store with a bag full of money, and we see a sign on the store window near the door reads, Smile, you're on camera. Mm -hmm. Obviously something going on here, because we're getting like the scene playing out twice, but differently. Well, obviously... The first time is like his imagined version of the scene, and the second time is like, oh, I knew that. I was just, I yeah. know you know that. <laughs> and the second time is like what actually happens. Although we are about to get a little bit of a discrepancy on that when they show the tape. Yeah, I think it was just an editing thing, honestly. I think so too. Because, I agree. Because there's nothing that doesn't match. There's just stuff missing in what we got right. when he kills the clerk. Yes, I agree. Though. So yeah, I'm guessing a- they're thinking we just didn't need to see it twice, but it is a little jarring because you've seen it two different ways and now you see it a third way and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, they need more time because they need for Frank to do what he's got to do, right? Fill in the gaps. So. Yeah. So Bletch says their streak is over as he and Frank watch the security video of the murder. The timestamp begins at 10, 12, 53 on February 12th, 97. Bletch says he doesn't think it's connected to the Rothenberg case, but he wanted Frank to see it anyway. The guy talks very weirdly to the clerk. As the video plays out, Frank has flashes and hears the dialogue from the first scenario from Tyler's head where the clerk agrees that certain people have to be sacrificed while the video plays what happens in reality, which is just kind of a longer version of the second one we saw where he pulls Yeah, he's like, you know, what are you looking for? And like, oh, we got stuff on discount, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. Yeah. And Tyler is spewing his little monologue, right, where he's Mm -hmm. talking. He's having a different conversation than the clerk. Exactly. Frank recites the clerk's lines from Tyler's point of view, and Bletch is like, what the hell are you talking about? When Tyler shoots the clerk, Bletch said the bastard didn't even ask him for the money before shooting him. And Frank's like, he gave permission. On the video, Frank sees what looks like Tyler throwing something towards the clerk's body as he leaves. So he rewinds it and stops and tells Bletch, that's in anything. At the crime scene, Frank finds half a jack of spades in the blood on the floor. 
he flashes back to the abandoned house and being surprised and knocked out by somebody. <gasps> At the Rothenberg house, the search isn't going well. Bletch says the husband spent all day cleaning up the mess. He may have destroyed the evidence without even knowing it. Even worse, you come home and you find your wife has been violently murdered, and then you gotta clean up the mess when all the cops leave? Uh, yeah, so there, you actually, I think it's generally you who's responsible for it. There are services that do that, so you can hire companies that will come in and, like, clean up crime scenes and blood and stuff, but it's probably yeah, expensive. but it's so still a lot your of responsibility, are... which is messed up. I know, it is messed up, so you're basically stuck dealing with it. <laughs> Not great. That's a great system we have. He asks why they're even doing this. If they're connected, they have the video. They should be working with an artist to get this guy's face out there. Frank says he just needs to know. Behind the wood bin near the fireplace, Frank finds half a card face down. He flashes back to lying on the ground, his hand cut. Bletch asks if it's a jack of spades. Frank says he can't. He can't do it. Bletch picks it up. The back reads, 58th Airborne. Expect no mercy. He turns it over. It's a jack of spades. The tear is a match. <gasps> Frank says he always kills in pairs. Bletch is like, you know this guy. Frank says 20 years ago, he was almost the second of a pair. <gasps> that is commercial. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So at the office, Bletcher is looking at a mugshot. And Frank tells him that Richard Allen Hance, the man in the mugshot, was born February 17, 1953, to Josephine Hance, father unknown. When he was six, he was sent into foster care, where for the next 10 years, he lived with nine different families. In county social welfare parlance, he was labeled irredeemable. When Hance was 17, he was sent to live with his grandparents on a farm in Montana. And then six months after Richard Hance moved in, his grandparents' decomposing body surfaced on Flathead Lake. Ooh. Murder charges were dropped for lack of evidence, and Hans was encouraged to join the military. <laughs> if you're good at killing, the military wants you. Right. He did two tours in Vietnam and then discharged in 1977. That same year, on the outskirts of Tacoma in Washington, Sandra Bishop's body was found dead at her house, apparently from surprising a robber. <gasps> we see a photo of the crime scene and a close-up of a crescent-shaped gash on her hand. Half a death card, which were used by soldiers in Vietnam to designate their kills, was discovered at the scene. And then we see the torn card. It's the Queen of Diamonds. So that's cool. The military just does that. So when you kill people, you leave your calling card. That's awesome. Yay. Yeah, definitely shouldn't be allowed. Yeah. The other half was found three days later on a jogger killed returning to his car. And again, we see the card. This time we see the back and it's all 58th Airborne. Expect no mercy. <gasps> same cards. Blitz says if Frank thinks that Hans is responsible, they should put a warrant out for him. And Frank is like, he's in Washington Correction Center serving seven consecutive life sentences. Seven, Blitch asks. <laughs> they had some sevens <laughs> left over from last episode and they didn't want him to go bad. So they threw a couple in here. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a week after the first two murders, another pair of bodies was found with cards. Then there was a lull. And then the Seattle PD received an anonymous call regarding the whereabouts of the death card killer. They gave him a cool name. That always helps. Yeah, yeah. They found evidence he might have squatted in a condemned building, but was long gone. So then the FBI came in to see if anything more could be learned from his abandoned belongings. Frank and his partner, Riley, and two other agents, Johnson and Clark, searched the structure for clues. 
Hans murdered Clark, dropping a playing card and cutting his hand. When Johnson found Clark, Hans attacked him and cut his hand. Hearing the noise, Frank and Riley went to go look for Clark and Johnson. They split up. Hmm. Learn from Scooby-Doo. Not the best mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, yeah, Frank opens the door and Johnson's body falls on him. And then Hans slashes Frank's hand and throws down half a playing card. Joker. Hans asks if Frank can see what he sees. If he can see his own fear. And then Frank has what we're assuming is his first flash. And his face becomes that of someone else. But we aren't really sure who. I'm thinking maybe it's like Hans' unknown father, possibly. Or maybe his grandfather. We never find out, at least not in this episode. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But this might be the origin of the Flashes. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, but before Hans can finish Frank, Riley appears and gets a shot off. Boom, hitting Hans. But Hans turns around and opens fire, emptying his gun, and kills Riley. But during that time, Frank was able to free himself from Johnson's body and grab his gun, and he tells Hans to drop it. He's like, you son of a bitch, and he pulls back the hammer. And then he's like, give me a reason. And Hans drops the empty gun, because why wouldn't you? It's empty. It's not going to do you any good. And he slumps against the walls of the floor. And then he smiles, and he tells Frank to get him an ambulance. He's hurt. Hmm. Mm Mm-mm. And he's all like dressed up like in Vietnam, like blackface and stuff, like camouflage, like he's a cool mm-hmm. soldier. So, so finishing the story, Frank then says if the killer follows Hans's pattern, he will take two more victims, a second pair before a period of unknown activity. Whatever Hans did, whatever happened to him during that lull in 1977, it made him more aggressive. It was only a lucky tip that allowed them to catch him. Ooh. Yeah, so apparently the pattern is... Two, two, take a break, have some tea, maybe, and then mm-hmm. go crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Bletcher suggests that someone go talk to Hans, someone like Frank. Frank tells him since Hans killed a guard, he's been isolated from human contact for three years. So Bletch is like, well, how could he be responsible then? Frank tells him Hans' cellmate, prior to being placed in isolation, has been released from prison. And he's broken parole. His whereabouts are unknown. He's Jacob Tyler, the living reincarnation of Richard Allen Hans. <gasps> Just not what reincarnation is, but I understand what you mean. He's like, well, you know. I know, I know what he means. I just, hmm. yeah. Also, we get our nice, like, serial killers with three names thing that mm-hmm. we always get. So, yeah. Then we see Tyler, and he's walking down the street, and in his head, everyone is speaking to him and telling him that, like, they're on to him. They're like, you know, they know what you're doing. They're on to you. And, you know, mm-hmm. when, as they really walk past, they're obviously not saying anything to him. He's just m- imagining it. He walks past a newsstand and sees his face on every magazine, and every title reads Captured. Whoa. Then it's night, and Frank pulls up to a rainy, muddy, remote crime scene. Bletch says a motorist making a pit stop inadvertently found the bodies. There are queen of hearts on each body, and Frank's like, we're too late. Bletch says they were killed at least three weeks ago. And Frank says that that means the clerk actually completed the cycle, so he's already done two pairs. Bletch is like, oh, there's no way to stop him until he strikes again, because we all know police are so great at their jobs. 
Oh, darn, we can't do anything. Like, oh, shoot. Well, I guess that's it. Frank has a flash of hands throwing a cart at him, and he's like, no, no, there's a way. <gasps> As a commercial. Oh. So then we're in the basement of Washington Correction Center, and Hans is on a table, and he's in a cage. So he's like in a cage, inside a cage. And he's beating at the ceiling of the cage with a metal tray, trying to stop the humming of the fluorescent lights above him, because the lights are like, in the actual ceiling so he can't get to them because of the cage so and then we see frank and he's trying to talk to warden to let him see hand and frank tells him like we can't do the interview in the cell he won't give up anything there so the warden tells him there's no surveillance in this room frank will be on his own and then he gives him a panic button that looks like an old school garage door opener Mm-hmm. and when he's done, he can press it, and the guards will come in. He also hands him a piece of paper. He has to sign it. It's a waiver that the prison won't negotiate for his life if Hans takes him hostage. So <laughs> Frank signs it. <laughs> Covering oh. their bases. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then Hans is brought in, and Frank says they asked to remove the cuffs, and the guards are like, what are you talking about, removing his cuffs? But Frank's, you know, please remove the cuffs, and so they do, and then they and the warden leave, and he and Hans sit down at the table. And Frank introduces himself and basically tells him, like, you know, like, I'm not with any law enforcement agency. I'm not with the prison. Like, there's no surveillance in this room. Nothing's being recorded. Anything you say is not going to be passed on to the prison or staff that will affect you negatively. I just want to talk to you. And so Hans says he would like to have the lights turned off in his cell. They're on 24-7, and the humming drives him crazy. He used to hate the darkness, but now he'd kill for even a second of it. And then he's like... Figuratively speaking, of course. (laughs) So Frank puts the button between them on the table and says, this is over whenever either of them presses the button. Frank wants to start with Sandra Bishop. And Hans is like, no, you you can't do that. That's like walking into the middle of a play after the intermission. You have to go back to the very beginning. And then he talks about, like, if you're going to make a movie about my life, I want, like, Gary Busey to play me. And then he tells Frank a story about living with his grandparents. And after he finishes the story, Frank is like, that's the story of Willie Lloyd Turner. He was executed May 25th, 1995 in Virginia. And that actually is a real killer. And that was a real execution. So mm-hmm. Frank says, talk about John Barnes. And Hans is like, the jogger. And Frank's like, 1977, the matched pair. And Hans is like, he asked for it. They all asked for it. You just have to listen for it. Fill the vibe. Hans calls them the meat. And Frank asked if that's what he called the FBI agents, the meat. And Hans is like, no, they're like me, meat eaters. That what makes them so fun to kill. The hunters become the hunted. And then we see flashbacks intercut as Hans speaks. So now Hans is telling the story that we have seen Frank flashback. And he's like, the first one practically offered himself up like Ophelia to Dracula. And then Ophelia became his bait. Which doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, he's incorrect because Ophelia is Hamlet and Dracula. Right, is, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's just totally, anyway. mixing. I think that was intentional stories. of like the... You know, prisoner Probably. doesn't really know what he's talking about kind of thing. Yeah, yeah doesn't make yeah. sense. The second just surrendered, and he marks them on their palm. That makes them his property, his meat. Frank asks about the third one, and Hans says the third one was a coward. He ate his fear like a Thanksgiving meal. And then Frank is like, you marked him, but you didn't kill him. And then he shows Hans his scar, and Hans is like, Joker. And he asks Frank if he thinks he's safe in here. It takes 33 seconds for them to come in when that button is pressed. He's counted. He asks Frank if he knows what he can do to him in 33 seconds. And then Frank just like slides the button towards Hans and basically gives him like, 
I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped in here with me speech. It's all like, <laughs> I should have ended your life back then. If I'd pulled the trigger, no one would have even blinked an eye or doubted me. I wasn't afraid to come here because of you. I was afraid to come here because of me. I wasn't sure I wanted to give myself the chance to make that decision again. And he's like, give me a reason. So, yeah. Then he says he wants to talk about Jacob Tyler. And Hans is like, I would never hurt Jacob. And Frank says he killed Jacob Tyler and made another Richard Hans. And Hans says they gave of each other so freely and so completely that he lived as Jacob and Jacob lived as him. There is one. He's like, they're trying to torture me with these lights. But for every second these lights are on, that tells me that's another second that Jacob is out there. Then Frank says that Tyler will do as Hans did. Two pairs of two and then rest and prepare for the test when the hunter becomes the hunted. And Frank is like, and you're the one who called in that tip. So it was all part of the plan. Mm -hmm. So, mm, mm, mm. And then we see Tyler and he's calling in the Crime Stoppers hotline from a payphone. And he says he thinks he's seen the guy who killed the store clerk. He thinks he's seen him crash in an abandoned building on 33rd and Hope. Mm, not good. Not good. And then it's commercial. So, Hans is played by Jeremy Roberts, who looked extremely familiar, but I honestly got nothing. He's been in a bunch of stuff, but I've either not seen most of it, or it was so long ago, and the part was so small, that while the chance is not zero, probably not possible that I actually recognize him. Right. I think he might remind me a little bit of Kevin James, is what it might be. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. I was thinking about it later. And I was like, you know, and so I went and looked at Kevin James pictures and I was like, oh, it might be that he reminds me of Kevin James a little bit. Anyway, he'll also be in a season six episode of the X-Files. And he is one of only five actors who have played a character in a Star Trek movie and then later gone on to reprise the character in a Star Trek series. Hmm. He played Lieutenant Commander Dimitri Voltan in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country in 1991. And then... In the retro episode of Star Trek Voyager, entitled Flashback, which was in 1996. He oh. also played another character in Star Trek Voyager, I believe, but it was not the same character. So, but Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. And then here is a little bonus for Vampires Ruin My Life listeners, or for I Want to Rewatch $5 and Up Patreon and Anchor supporters. One of the actors in this niche Star Trek club is also James Cromwell. He played Dr. Zephram Cochran in Star Trek First Contact in 1996, and then in two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise in 2001, and he did the voice of Dr. Cochran in an episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Yay! So. Lower Decks is so fun. He also played Father Callahan in the 2004 version of Salem's Lot. And he was married to Julie Cobb from 1986 to 2005, who played Bonnie Sawyer in the Superior 1979 version of Salem's Lot. Oh, yeah. I had mistakenly deleted that from my notes when we recorded our crossover episode, I Want to Vampire, on the 1979 version, and I didn't realize it until a couple days later. Apparently, when I was doing stuff, I actually deleted it, and then I forgot all about it. I'm not saying the 2004 version is why they got divorced, but I'm not saying that <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know. So, why were you in this crappy remake or something I did better? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Just the timing is interesting. So, you know. Divorces take a little bit of time, usually. So, by the way, the other three actors uh, who are in this club are Boris Lee Krutenog, who played helmsman Lojure in the same movie and episode as Jeremy Roberts, 
and will also appear in a millennium episode this season. Nice. Alice Krieg, who played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact, also in Star Trek Voyager, the video game Star Trek Armada 2, Star Trek The Experience, Borg Invasion 3D, and in Star Trek Lower Decks. So Is she not is she not in Picard as well? Might be this information is from Internet Movie Database, and so okay. it might not have been updated. Because the Borg Queen is also in Picard. Yeah, I was also I doing a search person. for Trek to get the years, mm-hmm. and so Picard, I don't know. Is it Star Trek Picard or is it just Picard? It's just Picard. So, so I, I, I might have missed it when I was doing my search. I so. believe it's the same actress, though, who does play the okay. Borg Queen. Yeah, and she's been in a bunch of other stuff, too. She was in uh, Deadwood. She's been in a bunch of stuff. So I don't want to list everything. Yeah, so. totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then also Jack Shearer, who played Admiral Hayes in Star Trek First Contact and three episodes of Star Trek Voyager and will be in a season eight episode of The X-Files with two guys from Terminator 2 and Danny Trejo. Yay! That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. So back to the episode-related notes because was, that was a tangent that I. Just, That's okay. I started, I'm all all for Star Trek tangents. We can do I that started all day. Going down the rabbit hole. So, <laughs> so yeah, check it. Actually, there's someone different who does the Borg Queen in Picard. Yeah, so, yeah, she looks very similar though. So they did a good job casting that. Good. Cool. Yeah. Or maybe she's meant to be a different Borg Queen. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's the same one. Anyway, I don't know. I, I think need to finish no, watching. I, I think the Borg is one thing, right? So with, yeah, well, it is one although, thing. So I think there's they, one because they only they only have the one ship, right? The whole civilization is in the ship, right? It's not like they have. I think they ships, have multiple ships. Are there no, different I think like they do hives? Have multiple multiple oh. cubes. Though. Well, if there's multiple cubes, then there should be a queen in each one. So. But I thought this was the same one, but I guess they would all know everything anyway, so I'm not entirely clear on that. I need to finish watching Picard Season 2. I noped out when they go back in time and the guy gets arrested by immigration because I was like, this is depressing modern crap. I don't want to watch this. But my brother <laughs> assures me that it's very good and I need to finish it. And also Season 3 looks amazing, so I need to just get through Season 2 even if it's not good. Okay. Yeah, Star Trek Picard. Whew. Season 1 is freaking brilliant, though. It's so good. Just... Oh my god! Surprisingly, not seen it. So, yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you have not seen a shocked. modern TV <laughs> series about Star yes. Trek. Or just you can drop that last qualifier that yeah, you've not I mean, seen just a modern TV yeah. series. <laughs> true, it's true. Yeah, but back to TV series. This one in particular, <laughs> Tyler <to> is <laughs> Tyler is played by Scott Heindel. He's basically another one of those I got nothings. He will appear in two more episodes of Millennium, though, one in season two and one in season three. And his first TV appearance was as the boyfriend who got killed in the teaser of season four, episode four, Unrue on the X-Files. So, oh, okay. I think that's probably why he car. looks familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He also, again, a TV series I haven't watched but have been meaning to. He, he kind of reminded me a little bit of Sam Winchester. Okay. Bit. Yeah. Like if maybe Sam Winchester was on the run and was looking kind of grubby. So. <laughs> Which is the thing that happens to Sam Winchester many times oh, okay. over. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, there we go. Yeah. I think it's just a long hair and he's got like the eyes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of the same age. So. Okay. Let's not get on a supernatural tangent. Let's get back to. <laughs> no, we'll save that for the supernatural podcast that we're eventually going to do. So yeah. <laughs> oh man. It's going to be rough. All right. We'll get through it when we get there. Anyway, I mean, Castiel doesn't even come in until season four. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, yeah, but then that means that he's in there for what? 11? How are we counting? From four. So that means he's in there for 12 seasons. So you're yeah. good. 
<laughs> so we see an abandoned building being searched, and Frank is startled by his younger self. Ooh. He tells himself that Clark and Johnson are on the third floor. On the third floor, 1997 Frank sees Hans standing over 1977 Frank through a hole in the floor. Riley appears and the modern Frank grabs his head as his partner is killed. He watches 1977 Frank point a gun at Hans and tells him to drop his. Hans does, and then from above, 1997 Frank cries, No! As 77 Frank becomes 1997 Frank and unloads his gun into Hans. Ooh, he wakes. Confusing. I know. So confusing. Fortunately, they're wearing different clothes. So you can tell them apart because the, yeah, it's the, not that the age aggression is not great. I think they just put some extra thick makeup on him. Yeah, so. thick makeup. And I think he has a little more hair. He wakes up in bed next to Catherine and it's early morning. He sits up. Catherine wakes up and says he hasn't slept through the night for a week. Frank says he's questioning his actions. Four people have died because of his inaction. 20 years ago, he could have stopped the cancer, but instead he allowed it to spread. Catherine says Richard Hance was a man in his custody. She believes in the goodness within Frank. He has to find a way to believe in it again. <sighs> and then it's nighttime and Frank and Bletcher observe the abandoned building. It's been under surveillance since they got the tip last night on the hotline. Crime stoppers. Crime stoppers. Frank says Tyler's personality may be completely assumed and they can't rely on his survival instinct to surrender if cornered. Fletcher says maybe it's better that way. End it here. Now. He calls in the SWAT team. They flood the street and prepare to enter when they're hit with sniper fire. Frank spots the shooter in a different building across the way that's under construction, and he's on the third floor. Ooh. So Frank and Bletcher run inside as shots continue to be fired at the SWAT team. Inside, they split up, which is possibly not the best plan considering history, but Yeah, anyway. and Bletcher's the only one who's got a gun, so... Yeah. Frank finds the location that Tyler had been shooting from, and Tyler hits him from behind, sending him to the ground. With Tyler pointing his rifle at him, Frank plays into Tyler's delusion. In response to Tyler's questions, he says that certain people have to be sacrificed. Tyler is smiling because this is going exactly how it does in his head, and he asks Frank if he accepts it. Frank says he doesn't because he's already been sacrificed, and then he shows Tyler his scar. And that confuses Tyler. He kind of doesn't mm -hmm. know what to think. This is a variation on the script. Not really sure what to do. Frank uses that moment to grab Tyler's rifle from him, but Tyler pulls out a handgun and opens fire, emptying it. But Frank had dove for cover, and Tyler's not that great of a shot, so lucky. No, there's a big spread on those bullets when they're bouncing off of stuff. Yeah, he's not great. Yeah. Frank holds the rifle on Tyler and tells him, you are not who you are. Suddenly, Bletcher appears. Tyler spins, raising his empty gun. Frank cries out, no! But Bletcher instinctively fires a single shot and kills Tyler. Yeah, he's a dead eye, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the you are not who you are. I wonder if that's remember in ice. We are yes, not who we you're are. Not who you are, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that could be an intentional reference. Yeah, because they wrote ice. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Bletcher calls for a coroner, and then he grabs Tyler's gun and empties it. All the shells are spent. He tells Frank that he couldn't take the chance. Not for now, or for later. Frank asks how they got to a place where they're only good for notifying the loved ones. Speaking of which, in his cell, Hans is trying to sleep. And one by one, the lights go out above his cell. And in the darkness, he begins to cry. And it's the Aww. end. You know what that means? I know he said that, but why? I don't know. I think so they could do this pit at the end and make it make sense. Okay. I had to go back and like, add that in the notes because I left it out because it didn't make any sense. And they did the scene. And I'm like, God damn it, you guys. And I had to go back and fix the notes. So, also, yeah. why are the lights turning off? Did Frank call them and be like, hey, let, let's give this guy yeah, some Yeah, turn the lights time. off and fuck with him. Yeah. So, yeah. No, no, no. Anyway. I mean, that's just a way to notify him. that he, I mean, if you really believe that, I guess that's that telling him that uh, Jacob is dead and he loved yeah, Jacob. I so. Guess so. Yeah, he did. Aw. Yeah. I mean, he's a serial killer. I'm not sure we feel sorry for him, but he's no. also a human being and he's allowed to have, I mean, he has some emotion, so that's good, at least positive emotion. So in a way that's good, but also I think he's just a dick and a bully and not necessarily a serial killer because like when Frank goes off on him about how like, you know, give me a reason. He kind of like backs down and is like, okay, I'm done. Can we go? And he doesn't want to push the button. And Frank is like, so he kind of, I think he's just a bully. And when he's, meet someone who his little scare tactics don't work on, then he's, you know, not into it, but I could be wrong. So that's just me diagnosing yeah. people on TV who don't exist. I mean, so. he did kill four people and then also three feds. So seven yeah, but people. he killed, but he killed all of them by surprise and he was a soldier. And I think he was just a dick. I don't think he was necessarily a serial killer. So yeah, but I could be. I could be wrong. I mean, I guess technically that means he's a serial killer. But, right. Yes. You know, when we think of serial killers and they've got like other business going on in their head, I'm not sure he had that. So he's probably one of those dudes who is probably. I mean, he obviously killed people before he went to war, so it wasn't like the war fucked him up. But there was a lot of people who the war. Did oh fuck yeah, because his grandparents too. So yeah, that's nice. yeah. He killed his grandparents first. So yeah. 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 But yeah, who knows? That's the end. It's over. Yep. That is the end of the episode. We are done now. Yeah, I have a question, Tori. How do you feel about now or later's? Like the, minds the want to know. candy? Yeah, because, you know, Bletch is like, not for now or for later. It made me think about now or later's. And so I was just wondering what you thought about those. I like them, but, like, I feel like they're not great for my teeth. So I don't eat okay. them very often. But Yeah, I, do I like mean, they're taffy. like, yeah, they're all right. They're a little, they're a little, they are a little hard. I prefer softer taffy, like Laffy Taffy, or like saltwater taffy that you get at like San Francisco or like other like touristy piers where they sell like mm. the saltwater taffy in different flavors. That sounds good. Yeah. I actually I did have I did recently have some now or later for Halloween and they were actually I, they were actually better than I remember them being. I might be thinking of maybe I don't like Laffy Taffy as much. I mean that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Laffy Taffy is good if it's like fresh and it's still soft. Once it I gets think really I've, hard, I think I've only had it really once really hard. Yeah, yeah I mean I'm more good. of a Starburst person. Starburst is not taffy. Sure. But I do like Starburst. I like Starburst too. I also like Skittles. I, like I just the, love candy. I like the fruity candy. I'm a fruit I do guy. too. I like, I, me I like too. chocolate too, but I'm more of a fruit guy. So yeah, yeah, I really love like sour candy. Like sour gummy stuff is mm. really good. Yep. Yeah. Skittles, Spree, Spree are really good. Spree are good. They also um, make um 
they used to be called shockers but now they're like sweetheart oh, yeah. sour oh my god i remember shockers yeah that's one of those candies that you can't really yeah you can't they don't they the, changed them and they changed the name so it's like sweetheart sour or something but like you yeah, have to like no, they're hard shocker, to find shockers were much good. better i'm also a big fan of nerds so well, if you eat too many of those then the citric acid starts to fuck with your tongue or at least it fucks with mine <laughs> oh yeah it's oh, fine with me yeah, I like citric. I like lemon stuff, I like lemon mm-hmm. pie. Yeah. Me too. I was yeah, just yeah, telling yeah. my brother, I love lemon ring pie. And he's like, I'm disowning you. And I'm like, why? I guess that's not his favorite pie, but it's good. Man, he's really hardcore about lemon ring pie, too. He's going to disown you because of it. Oh, my God. <laughs> he's got Ooh, he's got some very he's got beef strong... with lemon ring pie. What happened? Someone throw one at him or something? Get in his uh, eyes. He's and burn got his strong eyes. pie opinions. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I found. A uh, a a copy of the ad for this episode when it originally aired, so it's like you know from the TV guide, and it's all the first time he saw through a killer's eyes was almost his last. Tonight, Frank Black must relive his first case or die trying. I was like, okay, that's it's very dramatic, <laughs> kind of hilarious, but it was pretty funny. So I was gonna was... say I've noticed that there have been fewer of Frank's like non-psychic flashes lately like in the last couple episodes they're still there but there are like way fewer of them so they're kind of dialing that back or they have been interesting because last episode he the only flashes he really had were the planets right and that and you could take that more of just like he's making connections in his head right not really like things that happen that he doesn't see so and this one is pretty much just he's reliving things when he's having his flashes uh-huh um with the exception of that first one where he's like his face changes to someone else and we don't know who that person is right so but yeah oh no i guess not because he does he's able to see into tyler's mind in this one yeah true, those a words. Bit. but he's not yeah. having like the well yeah he we're just not seeing the flash of that but yeah but he is, but he is, he is doing the recitation of the script uh-huh. in Tyler's head. But I wonder if they're so, just showing less of the actual flashes because it is looking like he's a psychic. <laughs> maybe they're, they're trying to dial that back and just show that he just understands how they think. And we know Chris Carter is like he's not a psychic, even <laughs> though I wrote the episode where he's a psychic that started the whole thing. And yeah, yeah. So yes. anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was kind of a boring episode. I so thought. boring. It was very boring. I'm not even going to say sort of. Like, we also had to see that flashback a lot of times, and I did not care. So that was rough. Yeah. I mean, and they didn't, I mean, this is 1997. The age regression wasn't great. Like, he still has, like, those deep wrinkles in his face that Lance Henderson just has. Like, those, you can't make those go away. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, it kind of was kind of difficult to even tell. Like, in the first, when the first comes up, you're like, he looks a little younger. And I'm like, does he? So later when you see them in comparison, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, he does. But it's like, they're just like softened. So, but yeah, what are you going to do? Also, the timing on the killings did not match. They made a big deal about the pattern of the killings of you do two pairs of two, and then you take a break, and then you come back and you go crazy. But in this one, Tyler, because we find out those bodies that they find in the woods were like from three weeks ago. So he killed two, then took a break then killed two, and then did the call-in. So it doesn't even match the pattern, even though they made a right. big deal about how it matches the pattern. So Yeah, it's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It was nice to see Bletch again, though. Although sure. I think he's, it feels like we haven't seen him in a really long time, but I think it's because we took a hiatus. I think so. I think that's why. So we I don't just think happened to long. come back yeah. on episodes where he really hasn't been in them, so I don't think it's been that long. Yeah, so. But yeah, kind of bored in this one, honestly. 
I was really bored. And also, like, just from the title, I was like, oh, because, like, I knew it was going to be somehow military related. It was not as military related as I thought it was going to be. But I, I was just like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, and it's, I, I think it's a play on the thin blue line, the where yeah. the cop is like, and then obviously it's a white line because that's his scar is like, a yeah, I just wasn't so. excited about it. And then the opening was good because the guy is obviously having these imagined conversations with the people he kills that go very differently than how it goes mm-hmm. in reality. So I thought that was entertaining and interesting, but that goes away pretty quickly, and then it's just kind of like, oh, well, yeah, because okay. we don't get because we don't see the other killings, right? We only see the two, and so you don't see it again. It would have been, yeah, uh-uh. yeah. This episode, eh, eh, oh, oh, where are we going? Where are we going? Where are we going? Number wise, I think maybe it's a three. Like I was just not, okay. not into it at all. I was just bored, and the fact that they kept flashing back to the same thing, I was just like, okay, I don't, I don't care anymore, though. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of interesting in that final one. Well, I mean, not the final one, but when Frank is having his final dream and it's the two Franks with each other. Yeah, it was, int- it was interesting because in the first bit, modern Frank is actually playing the role of Riley because they have this interaction where like they get scared and almost shoot each other kind of thing. And then they split up and like he's playing the role of Riley in that one saying like, you know, like Clark and Johnson are on the third floor and they kind of split. But then but then it breaks from that and he just goes up and looks through the hole to see everything. So I also thought maybe they were going to do something where he was like, like, can you see what I see? You know, I thought maybe that was going to be relating to the fact that Frank was looking down from above in his dream, but it wasn't. It was just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, it was just weird. But yeah, maybe his first, maybe this may be the origin of the flashes, you know, because his life flashed before his eyes and then it gave him not special powers. <laughs> Oh, I love how they make it into this big thing, but then they like keep saying, "Oh, but it's not a big thing." He's just very good at what just he embrace does. Embrace it, just go with it. Just I know, it. I know, because that's way more interesting anyway. Like, stop making it harder on yourself. Just yeah, it's like well, it's like you want to write, you want to write spooky sci-fi stuff, but you also want it to be grounded in reality. And it's like, well, then you, then you're gonna have trouble one way or the other because you can't write spooky sci-fi stuff because a lot of that stuff doesn't exist in real life. And if you're trying to stay in real life, then you're in trouble. And then if you veer into the spooky sci-fi stuff because it's interesting and cool, then you're not grounded in real life. And you're like, oh, what am I doing? So, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go with, as, as tends to happen on the millenniums at least, I'm going to go one above you and go a four. Okay. So, pretty equivalent. Although I'm looking here, and actually in a Weeds, we actually flipped that. And I gave it a three, and you gave it a four in this one. I'm giving it a four, I'm giving it a three, which add up to seven. <gasps> oh, oh my God. There we seven. go. More sevens. Yeah, more sevens. I mean, Millennium was possibly based on seven, the movie. So, <laughs> like the first, what was it, the first episode when they're, when he's doing that running down the, when he's chasing him and running down the freeway after him, that was supposedly a scene from seven. But I haven't seen seven. So to me, that was like, it was the scene from Lethal Weapon, which. Uh. May have inspired the seven scene. I don't know, but to me, that's where I was getting the reference. But apparently, according to the internet, that was a seven reference. Oh, so yeah, I saw seven once, but it was a really long time ago, so I don't remember much about it. I've read it, it sounds super cliched and stupid. I don't know why everyone likes it, but I could be wrong. I mean, maybe back in the day it was something new and innovative, but it sounds dumb. Um, 
he has Brad Pitt's or it was oh Brad Pitt. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And Morgan Freeman, right? And Kevin Spacey, who is gross, but I mean he was the you know, so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. enough of that. Let's go. <laughs> I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the agrarians. Our bonus X-Files Adjacent feed is where we cover television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files Adjacent. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. We'd be happy to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time, and together we'll try to figure out If the the truth truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. Was that Morgan and Wong? I don't think <laughs> so. Let me see. I'll, I have it up, actually. Let me pull it up. <laughs> oh, they did. They did. They did. Yeah. <laughs>